0: Or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. <clears throat> Thanks,
1: Lainey. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm the, the lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, I try to say this every week, but uh, I, I do mean it. If I don't know who you are, as we continue to grow, it's really important that um, I at least get to meet you and forget your name at least twice. Um, sorry, that sounds. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a good start. I'm well, glad to be back in the pulpit. Um, uh, he, here's here's uh, the deal. I, I, uh, we had Vincent come up and give us some announcements, um, but I wanted to save one uh, just to uh, kind of share it for myself because it's kind of a cool opportunity that's, that's going to be happening and some things that, that are going on. Uh, we had mentioned last week when I came up and did the announcements that as we continue to grow, um, this place becomes more and more crowded and hot. Um, and so what we want to do is I threw out to you guys an opportunity um, if we did an 8:30 service, if you guys would be interested. And there's enough of you guys that raised your hand, um, so um, we're going officially kind of roll out um, on September 13th, um, the day we do baptisms. It's going to be a big day for us. We're actually going to go to two services. Um, We want to provide room, uh, one, uh, for you to sit next to to the people that you love, um, but two, to to be able to bring friends, uh, uh, And because I know that as you guys sit on the side, it's it's not always easy to find a spot as you come in. And so September 13th, we're going to do baptisms um, on that Sunday, and we're going to have our service times at 8.30 and 10.15. Now, here's why I'm going to give this to you and why I wanted to share it. If you are new and you've slowly been coming to redemption and trying to find a place in all this, this really is an opportunity for you to get involved in serving um, redemption uh, Peoria, serving God through redemption Peoria. And and here's what I mean. Um, We uh, as we do two services every single Sunday, if you don't know this, we are getting here seven, seven thirty and setting up, setting up the stage, setting up the classrooms. Um, Well, what we don't want is we don't want the people who come here at seven to stay until like noon to help break down. Every single Sunday that they're doing it. So um, I'm going to give you two numbers or two emails. I guess I can give you their numbers. Two emails that you can contact. And the first one is if you want to get involved some way in setting up or um, doing something in involvement on Sundays to to help do this or do that. I I would ask you to contact Jim Ellis. And I believe we have his email um, up here. Uh, yes, there it is. The top one, Jim Ellis, Jim Ellis at redemptionaz.com. Just email him and leave that up there if you can, Tyler. Um, and just say, hey, I want to get involved. Okay, cool. Now, here's the other thing that we're going to do. We have decided, some are kind of decided, uh, that, you know, right now, I don't know if you know, but every single Sunday, our redemption communities are doing our children's ministry. So, um, they kind of fill all those roles. Well, as we move to two services, we're going to create a children's ministry team Okay? And then the the communities are going to help subsidize any um, areas that we still continue to to, to need help if classrooms are overfilled. So if you feel like if you're in a community, I know a lot of you guys are, we have actually almost 60% of you are in a community right now. If you're in a community, you say, man, um, I I love children's ministry enough, and I've kind of learned that. Man, I'd like to serve every other week on a Sunday. Um, There's two ways that you can do this, okay? You can either be a teacher or a volunteer, and you can go outside these doors. If you don't have a kid, you don't know where the children's check-in area is, but if you go to your right, there's going to be a board, and Summer Hawley's going to be standing next to that board, and that literally is all the roles that we need to be filled. Now, if you got a role and you got a bolt right after this, then email Summer and say, hey, I would love to get involved. I would love to, to help serve in children's ministry do nursery every single, or every other week. You know, it sounds terrible, but that's on you. Um, Every other week, and I'd love to do that and and, and really get involved. Um, So so those are kind of two avenues that we really want to put in front of you. We're really excited about um, what God's doing. It's kind of cool to just see that um, in the middle of an area of Peoria where the city of Peoria has kind of said, Hey, um, we're going to move, put all of our money to the north side of town and let downtown Peoria die. It's, it's nice to see life kind of continue to roll into um, uh, this part of Peoria. It's awesome to watch. So if you can, uh, open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Mark chapter 10. Um, Here's here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, We're going to go through this passage, but I'm going to walk us through this passage um, and and try to get at something that is more than going on in this passage. If you don't know, um, we've been going through the book of Mark since we've started. And something we've said every single week when we've opened up the book of Mark is, listen, we want to be about Jesus. Everything that Jesus is about, we want to be about that, whatever it is, right? And so we said, listen, if that's what we want to be about as a church, let's open up to one of the gospels, the story of his life, and find out what Jesus is about. Now, um, another thing that we've said over and over, the reason that Mark provides a really cool opportunity is some of you grew up in the church just thinking that um, it's just four different accounts of the life of gospel as if they're recording uh, Jesus' life, And, and that's not how the gospels are written. They're written very intentionally, systematically, For certain people to tell the story of Jesus. And the way the gospel of Mark is written. It's written in something called a dramatic irony format. It's something where you as the reader. Know who Jesus is. But the people. The characters in the story have no idea. Which which creates great room for us. right? Because we can look at these characters and go. How do they not see this? But we as readers get to see it. We found that all the way until um, chapter 8. Where Peter. the, The first person outside of guys filled with demons. The first guy to go. Oh, I get it. I I see who you are, okay? And from that point, now what the misunderstanding has been is understanding what he's going to do. I see who he is now. The reader uh, has seen who he is, and the people in the story have seen who he is now. They, they, They get it. The disciples are starting to understand that, but they don't understand what he's doing. And because of that, um, we we get to kind of stop and pause and and really get out of perspective because we've been talking about this from our perspective. My goal this morning is to get at the perspective of what Jesus is doing. Here's here's what I mean. Um, uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's kind of historically been symbols for all the gospel. There's this bird and there's a man. Well, the symbol for the Gospel of Mark is a lion. Historically, it's always been a lion, and the reason is the the, the Gospel of Mark is meant to put you um, on this pathway of just raw, rugged nature of following Jesus Christ. Give everything. Let's get to the cross. This is what Jesus is about. There's no room for playing games. Let's go at this to the best of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, because of of what we see, Jesus slowly marching towards the cross. There's dissonance in the way that the disciples see because the disciples process Jesus or the coming Messiah as someone who's supposed to come and provide uh, rule and reign here on this earth. And suddenly Jesus is talking a lot about death. What are you, what are you talking about? We're, we're going to, to rule and reign, but, but he's talking about death and he has put this in front of us over and over again. If you want to follow me, then you need to be thinking about death. So, um, what we've seen is, is in specifically, I mean, man, I'm even as I rack my brain for this, think of just chapter 10 alone, right? It, it, think, so we, it started in divorce, right? This, this idea of God, Jesus really defining marriage, um, and, and what's he do? As soon as he's defining it, he calls his disciples and really gets at explaining this to his disciples. Right after that, his disciples are shunning children, right? They're A-type people. Um, so they're shunning children, and, and Jesus says, no, no, you, you don't get it. And then right after that, there's a rich young ruler, and then, and then once he's done talking to the rich young ruler, he calls his disciples. So, so there is an, a misunderstanding from, from the disciples' perspective as to what Jesus is doing. This is extremely helpful for us, and the reason I'm taking so long before we get to that text is um, it's helpful because um, all of us, man, if you are a Christian, um, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always leery of the, the, the guy who has, like, the big Jesus cape on and gets everything right, right? Like, yes, yeah, so I've memorized the whole Bible last week. You know what I mean? Like, those guys are like, how are you? I'm blessed, brother. How are you? You know, like, that's weird. Um, okay. So, so you're always, but but the idea of the Christianity is to recognize that we're broken vessels. We're living in this world, and it's and it's not easy, right? And so maybe you experience this dissonance yourself. Maybe you understand that that Jesus is real um, in an ethereal way. You experience in your heart, but there is disconnect between your real life and who Jesus says He is and what the Bible talks about. And what I want to do is, I hope to. bring that that dissonance or or remove that dissonance and and hopefully provide some comfort in the area of following Jesus. I want to basically present some continuity between your faith and your real life. Now, um, I'll I'll show my cards early. I know that immediately we're going to read this passage. And it may not sound like what I'm getting at is getting at, but give me patience. I've mulled over this for a long time on the last couple of weeks. Give me some patience um, on this because I I really feel like this could could change some of the way that we walk out our Christianity. So um, John last week, Demeter, really messed up the passage before us, but I'll I'll do what I can to fix it. Um, Picking up in verse 32, um, in in verse 32, what we find is is Jesus now. with his disciples is the they. So verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again. He began to tell them what was uh, to happen to him. Saying See. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and they will spit on him, and they will flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. So, so what, what we find out here um, is this idea of Jesus in chapter 8 told them that he's going to die. In chapter 9, told them, told them that he's going to die. And now we find this other account, and notice, I just want you to, to see this real quick. In verse 33, this, this word, see. I, I need you. To, so they're walking, and for some reason the people are amazed. Like, look how Jesus walks, right? This is—I don't know what that means, but they're they're, they're amazed that G, as they're walking, and and Jesus kind of goes, "Okay, I, let's stop real quick. I need you to, to notice something. Um, we're on our way to Jerusalem. Now, Peter, do you remember what's going to happen in Jerusalem? Okay, do, do you remember? I, I talked about this. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be spit on, despised, and eventually killed let's go. Okay. And he, he, he tells them to continue to follow, trying to explain this. He makes his death very evident, very clear, very plain to his disciples. And again, his disciples seem to miss it in verse 35. This is what we have and James and John, the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us, whatever we ask you. And they said to, and and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? I, I, I just, I, we're going to go through this passage pretty fast, but there's some parts that I, I, I find really comical because I want you to just try this with anyone else. Just go up to like, hey, I want you to do for me whatever I ask you to do. Like, try it with your boss. Just see what happens. I was, I was reading this, and, I, and Candace was walking by. My wife Candace was walking by, and I was like, hey, Candace, I want you to do for me whatever I ask you to do. And she was like... <laughs> and then I quickly explained myself, right? Because... Um, so anyway, so, so he, so with this, and we don't know if it's coming from this place of arrogance, but there's this, hey, Jesus, I want you to do whatever I ask you to do, okay? And Jesus is like, and it's in the humble posture, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 37, they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, this is a, a big deal. Um, because there, again, seems to be a misconception of of who Jesus is in the disciples' minds. What I mean by that is they they get the fact that he is going to be in glory, right? They get the fact that he is the Messiah, right? They understand those things, but they don't understand how this is to play out. A a guy named N.T. Wright, modern-day theologian, Really brilliant guy says it like this. James and John want to turn Jesus' messianic journey to Jerusalem into a march to glory, a glory in which they will sit on either side of him when he reigns as king. They have clearly heard all the language about suffering, death, and raising again simply as a set of pictures, perhaps meaning it's going to be tough, but we're going to come out on top. But the cross is not for Jesus or for Mark a difficult episode to be got through on the, side, on the way to a happy ending. So, so maybe, we don't know for sure what's going through the disciples' mind in this moment. But they're thinking, hey, Jesus, when we eventually conquer Jerusalem, we eventually conquer Rome, we want to sit on your side, your left and right side, which is this place of honor, right? So, so they're seeing this from a misconstrued uh, thing. But let's keep going. Um, it gets better, I promise. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But sit on my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So if you can think of um, a cup as like a measurement, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, okay? Um, You're still missing this. You're not understanding what's going on. Are you able to drink this cup um, that I'm about to drink. We, we, we hear this language in Jeremiah, but specific, specifically, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that this cup is, is reminiscent of what Jesus is going to talk about and, and, uh, at the end of uh, the Gospels when, he, when he's sitting in the garden, right? May this cup pass from me, this, this wrath of destruction, what I'm about to experience. And he says, you have no idea what, what's about to happen. And, and he uses baptism, this, this being baptized into death, raising from uh, the dead in this cup to symbolize, hey, you don't know what's going to happen, but, but believe me, um, you're going to experience it. Which is actually crazy, because in my personal time of devotion, I just read the death of of, uh, um, James in Acts 12. So he does experience what Jesus experienced, right? And then it goes on. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So James and John go to Jesus. Say, hey, hey Jesus, um, we want to sit at your right and left hand. You don't know what you're asking. We're going to Jerusalem, remember? We're going to Jerusalem. It's going to be painful. You couldn't handle it. No, no, we can handle it. Okay, you're right. You know what? You, you will go through what I'm going to go through. The other 10 disciples are standing over here. Um, go ahead. Uh, heck no. And they roll up and they go... Hey, um, what's going on over here, right? Now, the way I'd process this, and I don't know specifically what's going on in their mind, but um, you know, a couple days ago, there was one apple left in the fridge, and Titus, my five-year-old son, grabbed that apple, um, and Corbin wanted that apple. So Corbin comes and tells us, Titus ate the last apple, right? Um, now, Corbin doesn't care that Titus has an apple. Corbin cares that he doesn't have the last apple, right? Okay? So the disciples are processing this, like, well, we what? not And so they get mad at James and John, like, well, come on, bro. You, okay, so... Um, That's my my best explanation of what's happening there. Um, So verse 42, and Jesus called them to him and said to him, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be, uh, sorry, you must be your servant. I'm sorry, but whoever would be great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to, uh, to be served, but to serve and give, give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, we're going to stop. And we're going to take a while to, to, to walk this out because I think there's something very valuable. And I hope this is where I can keep my promise in explaining um, what we need to get at. Yes, very specifically, Jesus is talking about servanthood here. It's it's I mean we, we don't have to spend a lot of time when he goes listen if if you want to be great you need to serve I mean for the most part we understand Christianity is is um, the faction I forget the faction and in the insurgent movies or whatever they are but they're the serving ones right they only wear gray they never look like that's kind of defined as as Christianity Christianity we understand that we are to be a slave to people to serve people we kind of get that but hear me I think Jesus is getting at more than that and here's why I think that um. Nowhere in this, I need you to listen, does Jesus ever rebuke or get upset with the disciples for wanting to be great. The closest we come is Jesus going, you don't know what you're asking. But nowhere in this passage does he go, hey, um, why do you want to be great? As a matter of fact, he creates a dichotomy of these two opposing things, doesn't he? He creates an us-them dichotomy. He says this in verse uh, 42. um, Their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. To assume, go, to to go, hey, listen, there are great ones in the world. This is how they work, but not so with you. As is to say, you will be great, but this is not how it works. He, He is not getting upset at them for wanting to be great. Hear me, this is a big deal. He's redefining what greatness is. Now, um, that may sound like a quick Twitter feed, but, but it, it requires insane amounts of explanation. Um, here, here, here's what I mean. When he goes at this and he, he tells them, and Jesus is talking about serving, he's flipping all these things up on the side of his head. Um, there, there's something in, in Christianity, and maybe you weren't raised in the church. Um, I got saved in high school, and there's a lot of language that I wasn't used to. But people would always say, um, in the charismatic world, there's the economy of God. Right. And I never quite kind of understood what they were getting at, as if to say there's this way that God works and then there's a way that the the world works. And that is a true statement. But I want to explain it to you because I think it will help um, uh, put some things in perspective. Now, for me to do this, I want to shelf that for a second and I want to talk a little philosophy one on one with us. So I need you to put your thinking caps on with me and take a little journey, um, because there is a word in the English language that we use um, and everyone has it. Whether you think you have it or not, you have it. Um, as you're a kid, you develop it. And, and everyone in this room, most likely, um, not most likely, does operate in it. And maybe you're not familiar with this word, and maybe you are. It's, it's a small little word called worldview. It's, it's this word um, that basically, just flip the, the words, it's worldview, flip it. It's the way that you view the world. In your mind and in your heart, how you systematize and process feelings, how you process experience, how you process emotions. It's how you categorize. It's, it's what makes um, this world sane. For, for, for you to, to have a belief and view, this is how it is, and then to see the world that that's actually not how it is would, would cause you um, to go crazy. And this is actually what causes depression. This is when you feel like this is not how it should be. This is, I, I don't feel, and your worldview is, it's clashing up against reality, what you experience. Now, um, the reason I say this, and the reason we're gonna go off on this tangent is um, I think ultimately what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to put in front of you how things really are. Hear me me when I say this. Yes, he's talking about servanthood, but it's more than that. He's trying to show his disciples what it means to be truly human. What it means to be truly human. Now that sounds like a stretch, but hear me out. Um, uh, My, uh, My favorite theologian, he's a Canadian theologian named Al Walters. He wrote a book called Creation Regained, and he talks about this idea of worldview. And um, I would argue, as we begin to unpack this, there's a word that you are super familiar with if you've been in the Christian world long enough, and it's the word gospel. But I would contend um, you have been not lied to, but you have not been told the whole truth. When it comes to this word, the gospel, when Jesus arrives on the scene and says, the old age is gone and the new age has come, what does he come? Good news. Good news. The the old age is gone. The, the, The new age has come. The kingdom of God is at hand and you've been told over and over that the gospel means that Jesus came to the earth to die for your sins so that you can live eternity with him. But what if that wasn't all the truth? And I would contend it's not as Al Walters in his book, um, creation Regained says, matter of fact, it's funny in his book. he, He says that the first Bible, one of the first Bibles, um, the Tyndale Bible in 1525, when it was translated from Greek to English, translates the word salvation, you being saved, you giving your life over to God actually as being brought to full health. that that the way that they thought about what salvation was, what what it means to be saved, was to actually be restored into who you are. As to actually be restored as to the way things are supposed to be. Now, what does this have to do with everything? Here's here's my point. Maybe for for a moment, the reason that we struggle with Christianity, the reason that there's dissonance between our job and how we experience life, is the fact that we have not spent um, enough time understanding what, the Christian worldview is, and we've modged, our world together and saying, this is what I experience as reality, but this is what the Bible says, and, and this is what I've seen, and this is what the Bible says, and, and sometimes the world doesn't make sense to us because we haven't thought as Christians long enough as to what our worldview is. I'm going somewhere, I promise. So, so um, I want to do something that um, I've done probably 10 times since we've started Peoria. I want to give you the story, if you are a Christian in here, in here of your worldview, and, and then we will see, as we shelf to what Jesus is talking about, what Jesus is really doing. Because um, here's why you have a worldview. You have a worldview because every single person in this world knows that the world is broken. Everybody knows this. Walk into any Barnes & Noble, any bookstore, and the largest section of books you will find is self-help. Matter of fact, it's so big, in in some areas, you'll find it broken up into into how to manage your money, how to manage your lawn, how to manage your marriage, how to manage your kids. Um, We got Oprah books, right? You you have all these different things telling you how to help yourself because there's something wrong with the world. Things are not in step. I, I feel pain. I feel depression. I feel incomplete. And because of that, as Christians, we experience the same things, but we haven't understood our worldview properly. So, so here's what I mean, um, and this is, this is going to be beautiful because um, I hope the dots connect at, at, at the end of when I'm done saying this. At the very beginning, here's the Christian worldview. At the very beginning, God made all things well. He made them good. Matter of fact, he says he made them very good. So, so um, uh, check it out. Uh, when I say very good, I mean uh, planting a tomato seed. There's no thorns and thistles. I don't got to work hard. The, the tomatoes just plant up, and I just start grabbing them. Pigs roll over. I just strip off bacon, right? Um, w- women. Women, like, there's no childbirth. You're just sitting there. You grab your baby. You know, you're like, you're just walk Like, no pain. Oh, there is childbirth. There's no pain in childbirth. That would be a weird thing. Um, okay? So, so, so there, there's no pain. You experience no pain. Things are, are, everything is right. There's no death. There's no deception. There's no depression. There's no hurt. There's no, like, um, uh, misunderstanding in relationships or, or loss of boyfriend or girlfriend. Or, there, there, there's none of that. There, there's experiencing none of that. God in his perfect way, has Adam and Eve standing there going, this is the pinnacle of humanity. Everything they're going through is experienced well. Their life is well. Their environment is well. It is good. It is very good. Now, in our worldview, we need an explanation as to why things are bad then. Because if we go to the bookstore and we see all these self-help and you experience loss of family, you experience a broken relationship, a friend defriending you, over and over you see all these things, you experience all these things. If that's the reality, God, things are good, why are things broken right now? we get the answer in Genesis 3. Think of a territory. Um, There's this territory that God owns, this land that God owns. And Satan slithers his way into this territory, sets his flag, and begins to disrupt things from the inside. And as he goes to Adam and Eve for the first time ever, Adam and Eve choose not God. They make a decision not to follow God. And when they do that, things go backwards. Things get turned inside out. And this is where Brokenness comes from. Matter of fact, right after that, I've said this before, but in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, broken relationship. That, that thoughts of man are continually wicked. Uh, Genesis 6, that the heart of man is naturally deceptive. Jeremiah 17 9, we see the brokenness that is going on. We experience this brokenness. Now, if Jesus came to save your souls, and Jesus came as this man to, 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 to fix things, um, then we don't have to worry about this brokenness. Because hear me, this is some Christian worldviews. All you got to do is get through this life. That's it. Because one day you will see Jesus face to face in this world. It's done. God's going to burn it away. That could be your worldview. That Jesus came to save your soul, but your body, it's, it's perishing, right? 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, though my outward man is perishing, my inward man is being renewed day by day. It's my inward man. My, my outward man's going. I'm experiencing pain. I'm experiencing loss. It is what it is. If Jesus just came to save your soul, then that is your worldview. But I would contend that is not what Jesus is after, and that is not what he has come to do. Jesus came not just to save you from sin, but to eradicate sin. And if he came to eradicate sin, then Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1 say that he's making all things new by the blood of his cross. That suddenly he is restoring Genesis 1 and 2. He is making all things good again. He is, he's, his desire and all that he's doing is showing you what it means to be fully human. He, he's, he's walking. Now listen to me. Everyone searching for happiness. Uh, Blaise Pascal, um, not a Christian, he's a um, a philosophical mathematician, has a great quote that I think can help get our minds around uh, some of this. This is what it says. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The, the will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action, of every man, even those who hang themselves. Not a Christian says, listen, we're all trying to, like a power line, swinging on the ground, trying to connect with the other power source. We're all looking for this because we want to be made whole again. And that is not wrong, just like it's not wrong to be great. Unfortunately, we have been blinded. We've bought the lie that the synthetic versions of joy, the synthetic versions of humanity, the synthetic versions that Satan presents in front of us like a firework explodes but is gone in a moment. We've bought the lie, hook, line, and sinker. And we walk in this reality and suddenly our Christian worldview is distorted because we hear what Jesus is saying. That's not reality. If I serve, if I give everything, I'm not going to be first. But Jesus is saying, listen to me. This is what true humanity is. This is what it means to be human. He doesn't tell them it's wrong to be great. He redefines greatness. He is showing you, you, you want to feel the wholeness of everything. Stop believing the lies, man. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 4 says this. In their case, talking about those who do not know Jesus, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus. Christ as Lord, with ourselves as, um, as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, what is this saying? L- listen to what it's saying. What is it saying? That, that, that people who walk in this world who don't know Jesus, they've been blinded. They, they think what they're experiencing is fullness of life. They, they, they believe in their heart, and they're looking for that happiness. Blaise Pascal, everyone's looking for this happiness. But, but the God of this world that Satan has infiltrated, he owns, he's the prince of the air, he owns this world, and Jesus, with light, Second Corinthians 4, 4, enters into the darkness and starts waking you up. Hey, wake up, buddy. It's, it's time to get up. The, 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 the way that you're experiencing this, this lustful joy, I'm telling you, it's a lie. The, the way that you think that greed is going to make you happy, I'm telling you it's a lie. Work all you want. It's an endless treadmill. You will be depressed at the end of your life for how you spend. Listen to me. It's all fake. It's fake. Don't believe it. Don't get caught in it. Don't get lost in it. Jesus is trying to put in front of you what real uh, humanity looks like, what reality really is, and not just being blinded by the God of this world. And like light, he shines in the darkness, and you're awakened to it. The, the, this is... This is of the utmost importance when it comes to Christianity, because if Jesus is right when he gets at this, when he talks about being a servant, um, and I I love how he says, um, if you want to be great, you need to be be a servant. If you want to be first, you need to be last, almost as if the hierarchy is completely upside down. This is what Jesus, from Jesus' perspective, he's been trying to put in front of his disciples over and over and over again. That he's, he's trying to, to show you, he's trying to show me, he's trying to show his disciples what real humanity is, and the reason that you struggle so much when you go through trials, Christian, hear me, when you go through trials and when you go through pain, is yes, you're experiencing that, and that pain is very real, but your worldview may be marred a little bit, because, because that trial and that tribulation should remind you that, that one day things will be made well, that one day Jesus, as he continues to restore hum, humans as to, to, to the full humanity through Christianity, through his church, that we can see the reality that is to come, that though you don't see him now, your hearts long for him, First Peter. So um, I I don't think it's an an accident, right, um, that Jesus comes to to show this, not just in serving himself, but he comes to fix the problem of life with death. Like, that's not an accident. And I also don't think it's an accident. If you believe in God's sovereignty, that that right before chapter 8, if God is is sovereign and he's meticulous as he is, right right in chapter 8, right before Jesus talks about dying for the first time, he heals a blind man. And then he talks and he talks and he talks and he talks and he, we experience, we experience. And right after he talks about his death, before he goes into Jerusalem, he heals a blind man. This is something um, historically that has been known as an inclusio. It's like a, a bookmark. It's trying to tell us something. It's trying to communicate something. That between these two things, we need to look at these things and these things help us understand this. And the idea that there is a blind man really is reassuring us, right? Because, listen, let's listen to our story. I know it was a long text before, but, but listen to this. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what did Jesus say to him? What did Jesus say to him? What did Jesus say to him? He said, what do you want me to do for you? What did he say to James and John in that moment? What do you? This is not accidental. That in the same way he is healing physical blindness, he's trying to open our eyes spiritually to see that things are backwards, man. That things are backwards. And so he goes on to say this. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. So there was a moment where he could see, recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he recovered his sight, followed him on his way. I, I don't think that's an accident. I, I don't think that it's an accident that, that we can see a physical healing. And, and here's what, what I would say to you, because this is where we'll begin to wrap up. I think there's some of you um, who aren't a Christian in here. man, And I get it. Like everybody else who is a Christian in here gets that. Unless you were raised in a Christian home, maybe you forgot what that was. But I, I, remember, not understanding like the world, right? Growing up with drug addict parents and and um, uh, not feel like watching other people um, have luxury and have uh, things that I couldn't have, and I remember feeling like, what? Why is my world? What? What's wrong with what I'm doing? How is it this? And so, so maybe you you don't remember that. But I would challenge you as Christians to look back at that because maybe you're not a Christian in here, um, and you feel like, yeah, but I don't see that. Like the, the idea that, that I get to um, look at that girl when she bends over, I get to click on the mouse, I get to steal a little bit of money, I get to have a better life, um, that sounds a lot more appealing. And I, I would just I would put in front of you, not just be leery of, of the firework, of the synthetic version of joy and happiness, but understand he is willing to open your eyes if you would but ask him. If you would just ask him. Now, now there's some of you who are Christians in here and you think you can play both sides of the fence. And I would say you're in a worse position than the, the, the first person we talked about. That you think you can hold um, hands with Jesus Christ and continue to fall him while playing games with the world. And, and I'm telling you, that's a dangerous thing because he has no problem cutting off your hands. He has no problem destroying your, your, your world so that your soul can be saved but I I would plead with you to, to look at the last statements that Mark gives us in our passage today, because if you want to know what Christianity is all about, this is what it's all about. The very last statement in verse 52, and Jesus said to them, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and what followed him on the way. Where's Jesus going, man? You tell me, where's Jesus going? He's going to Jerusalem. Jesus in this moment is going to Jerusalem to die. And he heals you, and he has set you free, but you continue to play games. You continue to believe the lie that joy can be found in these silly, stupid trinkets. Follow him on his way, the way to death the way to the cross, because it's a lot easier to wear that cross around your neck than it is your back. It's a lot easier to, to not be sexy and really following Jesus Christ. It requires grit. It re- requires the power of the Holy Spirit. It requires you to be serious about following Jesus. Um, here's how I want to close. Because if that's true, if this, if, if I'm right here and that Jesus, yes, is talking about being a servant, um, there's something really dangerous. And I want to take a shepherding moment for all of us because maybe again, I don't know you, um, but those of you who I know are here, Redemption Peoria, and you've been coming for a while and you say, this is your home. Let me just as a pastor very quickly and um, put something in front of you, what we're doing um, has the ingredients for, for, for a soup of pride. Like you've never, never seen before. Like, like what, what's going on right now in Redemption Peoria? Um, the fact that we're growing, the fact that we're, um, we're cool, right? Like, how many of you guys are from GCU? Every single person in here. Okay? Um, <laughs> um, so, 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 so we, we have this, this recipe that, that kind of goes hey, like, yeah, like, this is cool. I'm, I'm part of am This is cool. Look at me. I'm Sean, right? I took my hair on the side. I don't know what I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> um, there, there's this thing that we can think we can do it, right? But here, listen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this as, as lovingly strong as I possibly can. Um, we are about Jesus. And, and if you want to be a part of this church, man, do we want you to be a part of this church, but we are about Jesus. The way that we live, the way that we move, the way that we serve. We're not about patting ourselves on the back. We're not about um, doing things for our own glory. We're not about being cool. Um, it is not, Christianity is never going to be cool. Every, every, um, like, Every culture of all time anywhere has idols in their life that Christianity and the Bible are going to butt up against. And you have them. And, and we're going to, to look to the cross and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be all about your business. And that is what we're doing. That is, that is who we are. That is the very nature. But, but more than that, um, as we had finished our passage, I, I, I want to put in front of you um, why. Why we are about Jesus. Okay? And then, then I'll pray, I promise. The reason we are about Jesus is because we believe that the world is not the way that we experience it. And though Muhammad Ali can say he's the greatest ever, and though Money Mayweather can rock TB on his clothing, at the end of the day, if, if being a servant makes you the greatest, then who's the greatest servant? Jesus. I mean, verse 45 would tell us that, wouldn't it? Like Jesus, in all of his glory, and all of his beauty, lays everything down and he serves you. He gives his life away for you. You, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, are the joy that was set before him. In Romans 8, that he, even in this moment, is making intercession. He is serving you. You're not bringing anything to the table. He is serving you. And if he's the greatest servant, then who's the greatest? Who is the greatest? No, no, who's the greatest? No, who is the greatest? Jesus is the greatest. Every knee will bow to Jesus. Every tongue will confess to Jesus. The beginning of the story was about Jesus. Jesus in the Gospels is restoring. At the end of the story, it's about Jesus. He's sitting on the throne. His name will be proclaimed. Everything is under him. The earth is his footstool. It's about Jesus. That's our worldview. He's the greatest servant. And we want to follow the greatest man to ever walk this earth. And if we believe the greatest man to ever walk this earth was the greatest servant, we believe Jesus was the greatest servant, then we believe Jesus was the greatest man to walk this earth. We follow Jesus. May we follow him in death. May we follow him in everything that we do. May we be about his business. and May we understand our worldview in him restoring us to true humanity. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We are grateful that we recognize in these moments, as your text forced us to to, to recap your life, Jesus, to see that um, and we're getting lost in idiosyncrasies of this world, that we, like maybe sometimes the unbeliever, allow the God of this world to blind our eyes, to get caught into trivial things. So the only thing we can do in this moment is not try to serve you more, not try to grit our teeth, not try to bear down and white-knuckle our way through this thing, but to recognize that your grace is sufficient, to recognize that you, like no other God, no other false God, no other claimed deity does, you are a servant. You serve your creatures, but ants, like, and you serve us. And this does something in our hearts, and it, it breaks our heart down We've taken our, our hearts of stone and given them, given us hearts of flesh. And, and we feel like we just melt to go, Jesus, because you're so good, not because I'm good. We serve you. We give everything and we recognize that we want to be great. We want to, 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 to be the ultimate great. And for us to, to walk that out, we need to be like you. And we need to serve each other. We need to serve the world well, our coworkers well, our family well. We need to give our life away. And like the blind man, follow you unto death to Jerusalem. May we do this well. Help us, Jesus. We need your help. Man, do we need your help. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. May we be a church about your business. It's in your name we pray. Amen.